I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking of missing the mark, and it made me think of my days of shooting a bow and arrow and always striving to hit the bullseye. But in our life, I was thinking of the bow, the instrument of delivery, our own human flesh, it's skewed. No matter how hard we try, we can never hit the mark because it's not that our arrows, the attempt is necessarily bad, but the bow, the method of delivery is skewed because of sin that's in our lives. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. You can find your places in the Word of God. We're looking at Romans chapter 7 today, looking at verses 13 through 25, picking up the second half of this chapter. And today we're going to look at a message, Who Will Deliver Me? And we find in verses 13 through 17 that we've been sold under sin. Verses 18 through 20, that in us nothing good dwells. And in verses 21 through 25, the question, Who Will Deliver Me? And so I was thinking about the messages I was driving over to church this morning And uh, it just caused me to think about the struggle that we have in this life between doing what's right and doing what we know we ought to do and then the struggle of sin happening, bad things happening. And I remembered back to one of the first times that Lily and I, we were going to visit our son. It could have been the first time that we went to visit him after he had moved to Hawaii. Maybe it was somewhere around the wedding with Catherine, but I had one task to do. On that Sunday morning, I had a message to preach, and I was actually helping with the worship, so lead worship, preach my message, pack, leaving Monday morning, going to Hawaii. And that was on my mind as I turned the corner from Petite Lake Road to Fairfield Road. As I turned the corner from Petite to Fairfield, there was someone sitting halfway in the middle of the road texting, and it kind of distracted me because this individual pulled way out in the lane, and they sat there, and I had to pull way around them to make my turn. And so I got preoccupied by looking at what was happening in my rearview mirror, thinking I had to take a wide turn to get around you. You're sitting there halfway in the middle of the road texting, and you haven't even moved yet. What I didn't realize I was doing while I was 
paying more attention to what was behind me than what was in front of me, that I was coming up over the hill back to the north of us, and at that point I was doing 55 miles an hour, and I looked up and there was a police officer coming up over the hill at, to the south of us. At that point, they radared me at doing 55 miles an hour, and the lights went on, and I was pulled over right over here, right next to the church. And one of the guys who was leading worship with us that day saw me, and he said, I thought that was you. Nothing about being busted on your way to church, you know, for speeding. In the process of that, I couldn't find my insurance card, and I told the officer I have insurance, and she's like, yeah, likely story. Didn't say that, but they probably hear that all the time. And so the officer went back, wrote two tickets, came back, and I said, oh, I found my insurance card too late. I already wrote the ticket. You'll have to go to court. It's great. So I go to court. Happens to be that a young man from the Navy base at the time had been attending the church, and I sat down next to him, and he leaned over, and he goes, you are the last person that I would ever think to be sitting in this place. So I said something like, I might be a preacher, but I'm not perfect. And here we find in Romans chapter 7 that struggle that we have while living this life, wanting to do right, wanting to do what's good. I strive when I drive on these roads because I drive to the church several times a day, and I know almost everywhere police sit. I know where they're at. I know they're looking for people. I see them get pulled over all the time. And, you know, once out of 20 years, they finally snagged me. But I try to pay attention to that. But sometimes in life, we get distracted. And the things that we intend to do, like driving like you're supposed to, sometimes you just don't. The things we intend to do, sometimes we find that struggle of, of doing what's right and, and struggling with the flesh and living a life as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so this is the struggle that Paul presents to us here in Romans chapter 7. And as we pick up in verse 13, we discover Paul telling us, first of all, verses 13 through 17, that we are sold under sin. And then in verse 13, sin produces death. He says in verse 13, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Paul's what is good here in verse 13 refers us back to verse 12, where he had wrote to us, therefore the law is holy, the commandment holy, just, and good. He's referring back to that which is good, the law, the commandment, it is good in comparison to our lives, the sin that we have in our life. We have this standard that God has given us. Now, Paul had been raised as a Pharisee. The Bible tells us in Galatians 1.14 that he had advanced in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries. He had once been, I believe, on a short track of becoming one of the leading rulers in the Sanhedrin courts of Israel. And as a Pharisee, Paul once believed that perfection could be obtained through keeping the law. 
And yet for Paul, when the light of Jesus Christ shone upon him on the road to Damascus, he saw what true perfection looked like in the body of Jesus Christ. And he also saw his own sinfulness. The law here, he tells us, the law did not produce death, but rather exposed the sin that was already producing death in us. This law is just the revelation of this thing. In the Greek, the word for sin is harmatia, and it speaks about missing the mark. And when applied to moral things, it is missing the true end of life, what God intended. And the act of sinning and the result of sin itself can be described with this Greek word, harmatia. I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking of missing the mark, and it made me think of my days of shooting a bow and arrow, and always striving to hit the bullseye. And so just think about this with me for a moment. We have a bow, an arrow, and a bullseye. The bullseye represents the law, and that which is perfect, the target that we are after. The bow signifies the instrument of delivery, and the arrows represent, arrows plural, represents our numerous attempts of hitting the mark. And no matter how hard we strive, we have a bow that is skewed because of sin. It's like having a shooting a rifle with the sights that are off or a gun that the sights are off and like going to a carnival and they have the target practice. You know that they skew the sights that you can't aim correctly or properly. Otherwise, they would be out of business. All they need is someone who is good enough and willing to take the time. And if you are good enough, and willing to take the time to figure out while well, it shoots a little high and to the left, and I can adjust for this, and I can hit the bullseye. But in our life, I was thinking of the bow, the instrument of delivery, our own human flesh, it's skewed. No matter how hard we try, we can never hit the mark, because it's not that our arrows, the attempt is necessarily bad, but the bow, the method of delivery is skewed because of sin that's in our lives. In Romans 6, 23, it tells us the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I pulled a quote from Pastor Chuck when uh, teaching through this chapter. He zeroed in in this area and, and this is what he said. I really like it. He said, I realize that the answer isn't reformation. The hope is transformation. It's not about being reformed, what I can do better, but my life needs to be transformed. So he says, what I will to do, verses 14 through 16, for we know that the law is spiritual and that I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. And what I hate, that I do, if then... I do what I will not to do. I agree with the law, that the law is good. Verse 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. There's been a lot through, probably since Paul penned these words. Romans chapter 7 has been a struggle for the church of understanding it. And there are basically two main lines of thought that go forth. And as I was studying the last few weeks in this chapter, 
and reading the commentaries, or maybe uh, there's one of the uh, Greek lexicons that I use, you can tell the position of the authors of these books. They either stand on one side or the other. The one position is simply this, that Paul in Romans 7 is describing his life prior to knowing Jesus as his Savior. And so those theologians, those scholars who write the commentaries for us or the lexicon for the Greek tell us what the meanings of the words are, they have this mindset either of he is writing this from before he became a believer and the others are saying that they're acknowledging that even as believers, sin still dwells in us. We still have a choice of doing right or wrong. Now, I personally, I have a problem to hone in Romans chapter 7. I think there is a bit of the possibility that there's a little of before Christ here, but also I see a little of after Christ here. Before Christ, absolutely. Sin dwelt. The flesh was there. Uh, The flesh was Lord over my life. Sin had dominion over my life prior to Christ. But after Christ, there's still that struggle with the flesh. There's still that battle that goes on. This before and after theology seems to look past the believer's struggle with sin. Paul established in verses 12 and 13 that God's law is good, and he reminds us that the law is spiritual, but we are carnal. Though we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, until we receive our new bodies, we're going to continue in a struggle of flesh versus the spirit. And I believe it really zeroes down to this. It's not who I am, it's whose I am. It's to whom I belong. And I belong to Jesus Christ. And even though I may struggle in this body of flesh, I know that I belong to Jesus Christ. Paul said in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, not that I have already obtained or am perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Though our struggles are valid, they are not mastered through fleshly disciplines. I'm not saying that fleshly discipline is not a good thing. I think they are a good thing. But... Our struggles are not mastered through fleshly disciplines, although the disciplines can help. They are mastered through spiritual victories. It's victories that the Lord Jesus Christ has to give to us. And while we cannot obtain perfection in this life, in this flesh, we are not to allow sin to have dominion over us. Therefore, we are to strive for victory. We are to be part of that race that Paul wrote about there in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, that we press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says, If we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And though we have been sold under sin, as the scripture tells us, Jesus Christ has come to deliver us from our sins. We find in verses 18 through 20 that nothing good dwells. In verse 18, he says, to will is present. He says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. The law is good, as we have established, as Paul established for us. But Paul learned that in his flesh, nothing good dwells. And this refers to our inherent sin nature. We might say that it is the inherent sin nature, the sins that we have inherited from Adam, our forefather, Eve, our mother, in this flesh, but also the sins that we commit. In the Bible, they speak about animals going to sacrifice and even refer to Jesus Christ in this fashion, that a lamb, a bull, whatever that animal was, the animal for sacrifice unto God was to be without spot and blemish. I believe the spot represents for us that inherent sin nature that we have received because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve, that we have a spot. No matter how hard we strive, we can't get past that truth that we have been born under sin, we have been born in sin. We have a spot. It's something that some of us have uh, birthmarks, and we could say we have this inherent uh, spiritual birthmark that has this spot upon us. But also we have blemishes, and we look at an animal and think of a blemish, I think of perhaps an animal that, you know, it's running around out in the field with the other animals, and it trips, it falls, it gets snagged on something, it gets cut, and that will develop a blemish, a scar upon the animal. An animal like that would not be a proper animal for sacrifice. Can you imagine the shepherds? Every day in Israel, in the morning and in the evening, they would offer a lamb as a sacrifice unto the Lord, and that meant they had to keep a lot of lambs ready to go at any time. And can you imagine the shepherd's duties? It's just not any lamb. This lamb is being prepared, or these lambs are being prepared for that morning and evening sacrifice, and they need to be without spot and without blemish. I would have to think that they probably had a lamb safety zone going on there. The little lambs playing and crushed up rubber tires so they don't damage anything. As It's like our school playgrounds today, right? Our kids don't know how to get hurt because we protected them and patted them so much. They don't know what pain is until they grow up and discover it the hard way. I grew up discovering pain the hard way as a child. Whether swinging on vines that didn't hold. I lived by woods and that's what boys do, climbing and falling from trees. I imagine that they speak about in the uh, Old Testament there, even in, into the New Testament prior to the destruction of temple, that they were temple shepherds. And the temple shepherds, their responsibility was to watch over the sheep that were being uh, prepared for that sacrifice. And the sheep had to be without spot. They could have no inherited spots from 
their mother or father. If they were, they were not allowed to be with the group. But also without blemish, they had to be protected from any harm that could cause any kind of blemish or scar upon their body. The blemishes, I see these as the battle scars that we get going through life. The scars that we get, some of us have physical scars on my, our bodies. That's a battle scar that we have uh, going through this life. Or maybe it's the things that we have done that have damaged us and hurt us in the past. We all have spots and blemishes. But Jesus Christ came as a lamb without spot, without blemish. According to 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus Christ came and he paid the price of our sin that we might be transformed into his glorious image. We're not trying to transform ourselves, but we're allowing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ to do the transformation for us. What did Pastor Chuck say in the quote that I read from him? He said, I realize that the answer isn't reformation. The only hope is transformation. It's a work that Jesus Christ does for us. In Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. And so that need for transformation. Verses 19 through 20, Paul again discovers the good that I will to do, the struggle that he has. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul simply, I believe, acknowledging this continual battle within his flesh, this struggle that he had between knowing what he desired to do, how to walk for the Lord, the good that he desired to do, but discovering that he ends up not doing those good things. He ends up actually practicing the things that he wills not to do. As I was looking into the Greek words on that which I will to do, the Greek word translated as to do there in verse 19, and then the Greek word translated as practice at the end of verse 19, we find that there are two different Greek words used there. The word for to do, poio, is the Greek word. It means to do, but it often means applied to a thing once for all, producing something tangible. It almost gave me this idea of I got this idea of I need to do one good thing, and I'm striving to do this one good thing, producing one tangible thing with my life, we might say. A thing once for all, the meaning of that Greek word, poio. But the word translated as to practice, it refers to that which we do repeatedly or habitually. And like Paul, we've also found ourselves in a similar struggle, having this desire to do what is right, but unable to perform it, while at the same time we find ourselves practicing almost habitually the things that we desire not to do. It is important for an individual to recognize 
the sin nature, our inability to bring reformation. I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive to walk in fellowship with the Lord, but it is a battle that is beyond us. It's a battle that it took Christ to win. We don't need reformation. We need transformation. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. And I realize that when I have these battles, these struggles, that the closer I stay to Jesus, the closer I stay in the Lord's word, the better I walk in this life. Father, I thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we know, Lord, that we are a work in progress. And Father, maybe today you're just reminding us, reminding me. Remember when you were a new believer, when you first met me as Savior. Remember how you cried out to me. Today, Lord, perhaps you want us to cry out in a similar way. In these battles that we face. Lord, be with us now as we close out in this last song of worship. May your spirit work in our midst. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.